From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Robert, thank you very much. It's me, Mike. Mike Davidson Lives is the name of the podcast. Thank you for downloading this latest episode post-Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, an unofficial kickoff to summer and, of course, a great opportunity to honor those who gave all so we can enjoy things like this. Had a pretty good Memorial Day weekend. Get to that here in a few seconds. Um, uh, kind of a weird-ass recording schedule for me because usually I record Sunday and Wednesday nights. Uh, but because of the holiday weekend and just getting back into town uh, Monday evenings, a few hours back, uh, recording this a day later than I usually do. And that's okay because um, I am technically off until June 6th. I took a week off uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week and Monday next. So I should be well rested and ready to go to work and uh, just be a bum this week. You know, when the kids will let me. Because uh, my wife returns to work Tuesday. I have to watch the kids. Uh, but we drove from Fort Wayne all the way out into Amish country, Illinois. Uh, visiting uh, one of my wife's friends and uh, her husband, Rebecca and Jason. Gracious hosts. Uh, we spent the weekend in Arthur, Illinois. Um, and it is it is literally one of the flattest parts of Illinois. And Illinois, uh, according to Google, is the second flattest state in the United States. So all the complaining I hear about Indiana. And there are some pretty flat parts of Indiana, but there's a little bit more of a roll to the farmland out here. But once you get once you get west of fifty seven in Illinois, oh my God, you literally can watch the sun set for three days. Not that it's necessarily all that bad. because uh, if you're a farmer, it's ideal land to uh to plow to feed uh, grow stuff and all sorts of things and that's that's what attracts the Amish out there um and uh it was it was a lot of fun now now my wife's friend and her husband are not Amish they believe in things like air conditioning but uh, they they did take us to a, a zoo out in Decatur uh the girls got to see the little mermaid more on that in a little bit it was a lot of fun uh and uh, on the way there it was great but I think we were all worn out and tired and just uh, a little bit of crankiness in the car on the way back Made it back safe, though. Um, one thing I will say about the Amish is, like, in some movie depictions, you'll get, like, the stern, holier-than-thou, they they frown upon the English, that that trope of the Amish. That wasn't necessarily the case out there. I mean, they, I think they realized, hey, these people want to see us, uh, you know, work the farm fields and eat our food, so... Yeah, they're they're very friendly, very nice, gracious hosts. We ate at a place called Yoder's, uh, which has this big breakfast buffet. And of course, if you ever had Amish food, it is uh, it's great. If you have more than one plate, though, you're just begging to be put into a coma. Uh, but I was there, standing in line to get my plate, and there was this young man, uh, Amish dude. You know, he had the Amish haircut, he had the Amish work shirt, the work pants. I looked down. And he's wearing a pair of Nikes. And it just it blew my mind. I was like, they really? <laughs> I, so, so I started noticing it. And it wasn't like the stereotypical Amish shoes you would see in these movies and stuff. And on my way out of the restaurant, I kid you not, I walk by this older gentleman who is Amish. You know, and he's got, you know, the beard and everything. He's got the shirt, the pants. I look down. He's wearing black socks and a pair 
of black Crocs. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Like, if he wasn't Amish, he would be living up here mowing his yard and uh, telling the kids to stop having their dog crap in it, you know? And that's, that, that's the type of thing somebody from this area would wear that's not Amish. Black socks and Crocs. Unbelievable. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, the only thing I have to really complain about was the hotel because this was almost like a John Hughes movie. You know, there's the wife and me, the three kids. And I think the battle plan was, okay, there's five of us. It's a lot. We're going to split up into two groups. I think it was going to be her and the girls in one room, me and the boy in the other. And she booked on Hotels.com or something. And the hotel that we stayed in uh, was a town hotel. I mean, it was clean enough not to have a meth lab, but that was about it. So when uh, my wife got the, her room key, I just stood up next in line, and the clerk looked at me like really confused. She goes, well, what's wrong? Well, I'm here to check in, but she goes, well, I thought you guys were together. Well, yeah, we are. She, she booked two rooms. Oh, I only have you down as the one. And so it, we left it at that. But uh, given the fact that uh, the service wasn't the best in that place, it was probably best that we did not pay for two rooms. But, oh, my God. Uh, you, you know, if the one thing that I was looking forward to is, like, when the kids got really rambunctious together, I could, like, separate them for a little bit. And, uh, you know, my wife could chill in one room and I could chill in another one. And, you know, rendezvous when we get home. That it was not to be. We we all were huddled in there together. It was not the best experience at times. When we were out and about and hanging out with uh, her friends and, you know, with Rebecca and Jason, it was great. Don't get me wrong, but when we got back to the hotel, it was just like, oh, my God, I hope you guys are tired. Uh, I have not watched the 500 yet. I got that DVR. Of course, when you're out in the middle of Amish country Sunday you, you, and you're doing things, can't really go and watch the Indianapolis 500, but uh, I do have a DVR. I do know that Joseph Newgarden has won, so congrats to him. Uh, you know, and uh, Tony Kanaan had a great line about that track. Uh, you know, it's not so much you being the best driver out there. It's almost like the the track chooses you. And I guess that was a little bit of the, the luck that Joseph Newgarden has had uh, in recent years. And this is his first time ever winning, so congrats to him. But uh, kind of a wild ending, from my understanding, multiple crashes. In fact, uh, a tire flew off of one car over the grandstands, not hitting anybody, thank God. It landed outside of the uh, of the track and hit a car. Scary AF, right? Um, and they invited the woman that owns the car to uh, come and kiss the bricks as a, kind of a, a consolation prize. And, of course, kiss the bricks is an honor for 500 winner. And... I, I hope they're ready to cut her a check to get her a new car, too, because uh, that, that looked a little expensive, and thank God that did not hit anybody. Uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, the, the track has taken great strides in race, recent years to make it a safer place for uh, not only the fans but the drivers. But, I mean, it's still, it's still a very dangerous sport, auto racing, and anything can happen out on that track. Oh, and uh, one other thing I missed, uh, and I, I when I sit down and watch the race sometime tomorrow, hopefully, um, is uh, Jules' stirring rendition of the national anthem. I understood she did a different take on it, and some people are divided on it because I, I guess she slowed it down and did a twangy version or something. I don't know. I, I have to go watch it, but uh, a lot of griping about that on Twitter. And it reminded me, 
of uh, one of the first one of the first times I went to the 500. I worked as uh, one of the people that blew up the balloons. Remember when it was all right to launch balloons at the Indianapolis 500? Well, I was one of the guys that helped do it, and I was at I think this was the first time Elio Castroneves won the 500. Um, and Steven Tyler was there from Aerosmith to sing the national anthem. And I think he, I don't think he necessarily thought to do something controversial. I thought, I think he was just trying to do what uh, rock stars do. Like, hey, how are we doing St. Louis? Hey, how are we doing Chicago? You're in the, 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 you're singing the national anthem in front of hundreds of thousands of people with great spectacle and racing. And instead of going in the land of the free and the home of the brave, he's saying, and the home of the Indianapolis 500, baby. Yeah. That is not the song uh, to to get the crowd hype and to get a cheap pop out of man. That's you 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 cannot take many liberties with that song, if any, none. And uh, Jewel, I don't know what uh, what she was thinking, but maybe you know that maybe uh, she should have done better, just done straight through. You know, Jim Corlinson, uh, 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 Cornelson. Uh, I, I'm having trouble talking right now. I'm fighting back coughing. Um, he, you know, he sings back home again and does a very good job. And he's also the guy that sings the national anthem for the Blackhawks. Why not just uh, have him sing both songs, give him two paychecks, call it a day? Because there's no way in hell he could screw that up. Um, and I know people are like, I, I, what was it? TMZ was saying, oh, this is good, definitely going to bring eyeballs to the race. Not necessarily. Uh, you, know, you, either, you either like auto racing or you don't. And uh, Jewel fans, by and large, I don't think of as auto racers. They're probably the people that protest outside of Penske uh, businesses because they're, you know, killing the environment or something. Uh, real quick, before I get into Little Mermaid, uh, I saw this as another sports movie, and this one kind of made me cringe a little bit. Uh, they're going to make a movie about John Madden. That in itself doesn't really make me cringe. David O. Russell. Uh, he's uh, scheduled to direct, and he's he's actually a pretty decent director. Will Ferrell playing John Madden? Hard no. Uh, I thought about this before the podcast. His uh, oftentime uh, collaborator, John C. Riley. I think I'd rather see him play John Madden than Will Ferrell. Uh, you know, and you know, John C. Riley can do comedy, but he's a very diverse actor, and I think he could pull it off. Will Ferrell, I don't know if he's entering the uh, I need to have an Oscar phase like Bill Murray has uh, with his career, but I just I just don't see it. I don't want to see it. Makes me kind of cringe thinking about it. Uh, no cringe from my daughters. Uh, as I said, we were out in uh, Amish country, and my wife, Rebecca, and uh, the, the two girls, I think Sunday night, went into town to cater to go watch The Little Mermaid. Me and the boy hung out with Jason for a little bit. And uh, it was kind of hard to get a uh, review because they went to a nighttime showing Sunday night and both my daughters were asleep when they came back. Uh, my wife said, I liked it. It was good. It was all right. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or not or great. Uh, but uh, unsurprisingly, I mean, it finished number one at the box office this week. And I think it's uh, by the time it's all said and done Monday night, uh, going to rake in about $118 million. I don't know if that matches projections or beats projections. I saw one that projected it here stateside to pull in 140, and I knew that was going to be really, really 
high. I, I, I just didn't see that. I think that might have been just something to stir things up. But, I mean, this movie's not going to bomb. But whether or not it matches the expectations Disney has for it uh, remains to be seen. Uh, it really depends on uh, the word of mouth about this movie. I mean, did all the people that want to see this movie see it in its first weekend? So, I mean, the tail of the tape will be the second week, and how big of a drop-off is it? You know, with Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 underperformed a lot, but uh, it had very little drop-off second and third weekends. It's, uh, you know, it started kind of getting some of its mojo back because the word of mouth was positive about it. This movie doesn't suck. Is that going to happen with Little Mermaid? Now, they're trying to hype the fact that it made more money its opening night than uh, Super Mario Brothers, but... Uh, you know, $118 million is what uh, Little Mermaid is projected to make this weekend. Super Mario Brothers made about uh, $200 million in the States alone. So, there is some success with Little Mermaid. I'm not saying it's a swimming success, so to speak. Again, it's a, it's a tale of the tape. If it survives all the criticism and if it does win the hearts of those who went and saw that. But it's not winning every place. Uh, you know, they're having some review bomb issues over in places like Korea and Germany and France on websites. In China, uh, Fast and Furious X10, whatever the hell they're calling that, uh, it has 60, that movie has 67% drop off this past weekend, but still finished first. Think about that. That, that movie had a huge drop off and was still was number one at the box office in China while The Little Mermaid bowed at number five in China. So the success is hit or miss. Uh, you know, globally it could do okay-ish, but I wouldn't say that this is going to be like Titanic and, you know, there's going to be multiple viewings of this movie throughout the summer. And you also have to kind of keep in mind that uh, The Little Mermaid is going to have more to contend with in terms of uh, other movies coming out because this is summer blockbuster season. See how that goes. Um, now, I'm not saying it's... That I don't think you're going to have any trouble seeing any movie that you want this year unless you're afraid to go to the theater. Uh, but some people are really hard up to hear their favorite singers. And one person in particular is Taylor Swift. I think this past weekend she performed um, uh, the stadium in East Rutherford uh, you know, where the Giants and the Jets played. A three-night engagement. Tickets going for thousands and thousands of dollars and parents, you know, uh, bankrupting themselves to buy their kids love. There was actually a mandate at the stadium in the parking lot saying, unless you paid for parking, unless you paid for a ticket, do not be in this parking lot. Because apparently they were Swift Swifties tailor gating, as they call it. They were trying to hang outside the stadium just so they can hear this woman's voice. This woman's voice, which is uh, hundreds of yards away, they're separated by uh, you know tons of concrete and steel. It, these walls, they can't see crap. They can hear a lot of cheering. They can't see anything. They can't experience it. They're just sitting out there, basically trying to get breadcrumbs. I mean, that's that's pathetic. Uh, and I say this as a forty-three-year-old guy that's got his own favorite bands. But listen, if I can't get tickets to go see ACDC or Metallica or Foo Fighters, I'll stay at home. I'll be okay. Because I'm mature enough to know that sitting out in a parking lot, hoping to hear something cool, 
isn't really all that cool. It's it's sad. It's it, this it's cult like. What the hell is this? Um, <coughs> you know, I, if Taylor Swift is all about self esteem, she should like put out a video or something saying, "Hey, look, appreciate all the fans that uh, could make it out here, but uh, to those that didn't." There's always next time, uh, you know, you can listen to your, my CDs or my, you know, Spotify, whatever, at home. You know, and don't laugh at the CD comment because there's probably some 43-year-old woman out there listening to Taylor Swift right now. Saying, God, I'm glad I'm not out in the stadium parking lot. Alright, uh, shifting gears to everybody's favorite band, uh, Nickelback. Uh, Chad Kroger, uh, in a recent podcast, was talking about... How he thinks a lot of musicians are lazy. And he goes on to talk about how, like, these guys starting out, you know, they always get hairdresser girlfriends and bum off of them. And they might strum a few chords and say, oh, yeah, we're cool. We're, we're in a band. And, th and that's all they do. They don't have a job. They're not very driven. They're not very passionate. They just have a gu guitar. Basically sit around, smoke pot, and do nothing. Um, and... If that's the case, then there's tons of musicians. But he even talked about how, like, he would work with people in studio, and they go, "Oh man, that was an awesome ten minutes. It was great to record with you." And Chad's like, "Dude, I, I do this all day." And he goes, "I can go out to Nashville and see people write three songs a day, record three songs a day, and just do it. Just do it. Like they're obsessed with making music. It is an obsession. It's you're not going to believe it. They treat it like a job." There's something to it. I mean, you don't have to say, oh, Nickelback's the greatest band ever. I mean, I, I'm not a Nickelback fan, but I, I, I was reading these comments, and it's like, head on, dead on. Um, Jimi Hendrix is considered one of the greatest rock guitarists of all time. You know, he's probably my number one. Um, but the guy played guitar six hours a day. Even when he was stoned out of his mind, even if he was laying in bed next to three naked chicks, you know, he had a guitar nearby. That's what he loved doing. And it wasn't just, hey, I want to strum the guitar for a few minutes and get high or uh, not do anything. You, there is a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of work that goes into a lot of stuff. And, that, and that's what Chad's point was. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, snarky guys out there going, yeah, this guy's saying how you remind me. Yeah, this guy also uh, packs in uh, amphitheaters and stadiums. He's pretty well off for a guy that sings for the world's most hated band. There might be something to that. Maybe. Uh, I do have that linked up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page if you want to read that. All right, so I said that I would get to um, what I'll call Kuypergate. Glenn Kuyper, the former announcer for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, I guess uh, this was a... He was talking about an experience on television where he and his uh, uh, cohort, they were in Kansas City, and they went to the National Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. And it's to honor the old Negro League uh, back in the day because there was segregation, and there was a lot of great baseball players that could not play in MLB because of stupid-ass rules. It took the likes of Jackie Robinson, and then Larry Doby, and then other great african-american players to you know cross over that line and show them hey we belong here just as much as any other player does but uh, because there was that rule for the longest time i mean the negro league did exist and there's a museum honoring them 
And uh, he said the wrong word on television. He said basically the N-bomb. It was a slip of the tongue. He apologized. He was suspended. Now he's fired. Now, and I said I, was, I had some stuff to get through because it's a little complicated. Uh, they, you know, first of all, I was, one of the articles I was reading was talking about, you know, how it was an investigation and that there were other things behind the scenes that led to this decision. And this, this sounds like kind of an HR move. Um, I've alluded to this before. Um, if you make a mistake at work, if you have a great boss, he or she will be forgiving, right? But sometimes if they're a little bit on the political side, Maybe they catalog that in the back of their brain and go, okay, that might be a reason to get rid of so-and-so later on down the road. And they just catalog things, and they catalog things. And once something hits the fan, say like a slip of the tongue, then that stuff can come out. And w when human resources generally does an investigation, they ask people that work with the coworker in question. So... They might talk to his broadcast partner. They might talk to the producers. They might talk to the, some of the tech people. What's this guy really like off microphone? And when they amass enough evidence to justify it, they fire him. Now, there could be some legit heat with Glenn Kuyper behind the scenes. He could be a total a-hole, and there might be a reason to fire him. Or the situation could be a way for somebody uh, less than honest to sandbag him now that the opportunity presents itself inflate the truth a little bit and adios you're gone Glenn so I don't know what his character really is I just know that it took this slip of the tongue for it to happen and I don't think he meant for it to happen um, but places like Deadspin and other uh, left-leaning sports rags uh, you know they're, they're talking about how like good riddance you know if he said it once it's in his day-to-day -day vocabulary, which got me thinking, well, how, how do you guys know it's in their day-to-day -day vocabulary? It, that's almost that's almost Stalinistic uh, when I think about it. Uh, if you've ever seen The Lives of Others, it is a uh, foreign film, and it's about um, uh, East Germany during the Cold War, when the Berlin Wall was up and... Uh, People spied on other people, and you had to really watch what you said. And this almost has that feeling to it, that now you have writers and uh, political pundits knowing what you said, even though they don't have microphones around you all the time. They just know it's in your heart. They know that you meant to say it because you say it 15 times a day. Pretty presumptive. Or it could be this, he went and visited the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame in Museum in Kansas City. And there might have been some things at that site that uh, highlighted how bad things were back in the day for black athletes. The term Negro is kind of taboo now, and I'm only using it to describe the baseball league. You know, the, it used to be a clinical term back in the day, like the Negro League Baseball League, or the United Negro College Fund. But now that's become taboo, and so, of course, things change. He might have had in his mind, okay, say it in the most clinical way possible, but don't say it like the N-bomb. And then things happened, and that's what happened. It's, it's really presumptive and very dangerous 
for media types just to assume that's what somebody meant. This poor bastard's never going to work in baseball again. Because if he tries to get a job, if he tries to get a job in single-A baseball somewhere, just work in the PA, people are going to be like, that's the guy that slipped, had the slip of the tongue, and he's as bad as David Duke. Why? Because we know. Another story I'm going to relate to this. A few years ago, Bob Lamey, former voice of the Indianapolis Colts, he got in trouble and he got fired from his job because at training camp he was sharing an off-color story where the N-bomb was used and he said it around a co-worker. Now, some people might say it's a locker room talk, but I'm you know, a former broadcaster myself. You kind of have to be professional when you're on the clock. And if you're wor- around the Colts, if you're around other people that you work with, assume you're on the clock. Bob was getting up there in years and would slip the tongue, all sorts of things. So this was an excuse for the Colts to let him go. But the story he said involved the N-bomb being uttered by a former race car driver by the name of Derek Daly. Derek Daly alleged to have said this back in the 70s and 80s. Derek Daly at the time was a racing analyst for one of the local television stations down in Indianapolis. And was well-liked, well-respected, revered. And in fact, when the story, uh, when he said the end bomb this story, Derek Daly immediately apologized because somebody told him, hey, yeah, that's got a negative connotation here. So he's grown three, four decades later. He's not even there when Bob Lamey's telling this story. It gets back to the television station in Indianapolis, and they fire Derek Daly for saying this. They fired Derek Daly because Bob Lamey told an off-color story where Bob Derek Daly said something that he has since apologized for about 40 years ago. Of course, Derek Daly turned around and sued, and rightfully so. It's not about apologizing. It's not about growth with some people. It's not about forgiveness. It's how dare you we're going to crucify you. A lot of these people on soapboxes are the Spanish Inquisition, morally speaking. And it's not just the Christian right anymore. It is the moralistic, holier-than-thou, atheist, leftist groups. It's, it just it astounds me. It's, it's these kids that grew up hating their parents so much that... Yeah, they don't believe the same things their parents did, but they're using the same tactics their parents did. We are a dumb species, and we will never learn. So, yeah, uh, to reiterate, I don't know what was in Glenn Kuyper's heart. I don't pretend to know. I just know that a lot of the grandstanding from people who pretend to know is a little bit obnoxious and quite a bit dangerous. And, of course, there'll be other examples later on down the road. Hey, uh, speaking of canceled, Budweiser, uh, Bud Light, as you know, uh, they ran afoul of their audience because they forgot about the golden rule, don't disrespect your P1s, your primary audience. Uh, the Dylan Mulvaney thing, uh, they've since been trying to clean up that, and they've been losing money left and right, uh, and, and pleasing no one. Now they are teaming up with Harley Davidson for rough and tumble biker beer commercials trying to get back to uh, get back to that audience that they uh, alienated 
because we all drive motorcycles. We all ride them. I don't ride motorcycles. I just said drive a motorcycle for Christ's sake. Yeah, this is trying too hard here, and it might come off as pandering. Maybe start small and start generic and then rebuild the marketing because I don't see people running back to your brand just because you decided to slap on leather and say, see, not gay. Yeah, leather. So there's that. Uh, by the way, uh, the Megaplex furry convention in Orlando is upset with uh, Governor Ron DeSantis because of the uh, you can't perform in children in front of children rule, um, you know, with the uh, drag queens and all that. And so uh, they've issued a strongly worded letter, and they're upset because they can't have kids there. What this this brings up my whole thing with Michael Jackson when uh, the kid slept over at his house, right? Where were the parents on this? Why would any parent be okay with kids going to a convention where adult men dress as lemurs? Tell me why. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, it, it, there's there's a whole lot of problems there, and I don't want to address. But uh, yeah, if if you're not a uh, a sexualized fetish group, then why do you care if kids are not there or not? Just just be typical adult males dressed as mascots, I guess. I don't know. Well, uh, all that said and done, I will talk to you guys Thursday morning this week. Wait, Thursday or Friday? I don't know. I'll figure it out. It's my it's my week off. Until next week, or until next time, stay fresh, cheese back. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com backslash M Davidson Live. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.